invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to that Luke 23 passage, if you would. If you know much about American history, then you probably know that the first U.S. president to ever be assassinated was Abraham Lincoln. He was shot in the head at point-blank range by John Wilkes Booth, the famous actor, at Ford's Theater, April 14th. 1865, which is just over 157 years ago. But may, what you probably don't know is that there was a previous connection between the Booth family and the Lincoln family that doesn't get a lot of notoriety. That event took place at a train station, believe it or not, in Jersey City, New Jersey, a year before the assassination. Abraham Lincoln's oldest son, Robert Todd Lincoln, was on a trip, and he was taking the train, and the train had, uh, was coming into the station that he was going to get on. He was standing too close to the platform, and as the train came in, it startled him. He lost his balance and began to fall off the platform and would have fallen on the tracks in front of the oncoming train, except there was a hand attached to an arm that reached out to him, grabbed his coat, and at the last second pulled him back onto the platform, saving his life. That arm belonged to Edwin Booth, who was the brother of John Wilkes Booth. You put those two episodes together in history, and you'll find that they are a story in contrast, aren't they? I mean, you have two brothers that are completely opposite of one another. One Booth brother was known for taking the life of a Lincoln. The other Booth brother was known for saving the life of a Lincoln. I tell you that story because Luke's gospel is full of such completely contrasting stories just like that. It begins in the beginning with Luke 1, Zacharias and Mary both have an angel appear to them. One has a message and doesn't believe and is full of doubt. But Mary, she hears the angel's words, and although it seems impossible, she believes. Luke 2 is a discussion between Jesus and Herod, not a discussion, but a contrast between Jesus and Herod, two types of kings, two types of kingdoms, completely different, and we have to make a choice. Luke chapter 7 was about the woman who came in and treated Jesus great and welcomed him in even though it wasn't her house. And she got down on her knees and she wiped his feet with her tears and with her hair. Whereas Simon the Pharisee didn't do anything that was a custom as far as hospitality or welcome goes. Luke 16 emphasizes the difference between the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man ends up dying and going to hell and being in torment. Lazarus is taken to Abraham's bosom, completely opposites, side by side. Luke 18, the tax collector and the Pharisee, one is righteous on his own and one is not righteous at all, but God says it's the one who is unrighteous but repents who goes down to his house justified. Luke chapter 21, it's the poor widow who gives in the smallest, just two little copper coins, whereas all the rich people are coming and throwing in all kinds of money into the offering in the temple that day. And God says this woman has given more than all of them combined. You see, they're complete opposites, contrast. People who seem to have absolutely nothing in mind. Why? Why does Luke tell all of these stories? What's the purpose of it? Well, it's pretty simple. He wants the readers of his gospel to put themselves into the story and ask this question. 
which one am I? See, he wants you to ask and me to ask, am I really the city woman or the Pharisee? Am I Mary, who is in the kitchen doing all the things that she thinks Jesus wants, or am I, am I Martha doing the kitchen, or Mary sitting at Jesus' feet learning to hear his word? Am I the rich man headed to hell, or am I Lazarus, who's going to be with God? And of course, the last and final pairing is Jesus and Barabbas. You see, that's Luke's intent this morning. As you hear my message, here's the question I want you to go over and over in your mind. Am I Jesus or am I Barabbas? So as Luke wants us to, let's put ourselves into the Easter story this morning by making that final contrast, a contrast of complete opposites. So we're going to look at each one of them and make the comparison so that you can decide in your own heart this morning. But first we're going to look at Jesus. The one thing that describes him is this, not guilty. If you read Exodus chapter 12, you'll know that this was protocol for sacrificial lambs on Passover, which is what Passion Week is all about. Each family in the Old Testament would take a lamb, and they would get that lamb on Nisan, which is their month. It's between March and April for us. It would be Nisan the 10th. And everyone on that Sunday would buy a lamb. Now, they would go have this lamb, and for four days, from Sunday to Thursday, they would take the time to inspect this lamb because you couldn't offer the sacrifice to God with the lamb. You couldn't celebrate Passover and receive the pardon if your lamb was defective in any way. So God said, from the 10th to the 14th, I want you to very, very carefully inspect the lamb. It can't have a a bad eye, it can't have a broken leg, it can't be hobbling around, there can't be any blemishes, spots, defects of any sort in any way possible. There can't be any. And you have four days to inspect it so that the sacrifice could be made on Friday. You see, Jesus rode into Jerusalem last Sunday. For them, in that first century, it was Nisan the 10th he rode in. And for four days, Sunday through Thursday, he was in the temple and he was in the city and he was preaching and teaching and ministering. And people had four days, God's people, Israel, had four days to examine the Lamb of God to see if there were any defects in him. And as we come to the four days conclusion and on Friday, which our text is found, we have Luke going out of his way, and I'm going to show you, really out of his way, to make sure that we know that after inspection, Jesus has no defects. Now, he uses all kinds of multiple sources, people that you normally wouldn't think that he would use as people who inspect the lamb to see if there's no defects, but he does. First of all, he says, Pilate says, if you look in your scriptures, Luke 23 and verse 4, First time, here's what Pilate says. He examines Jesus, talks to him, and here's what he says publicly. I find, here it is, no guilt in this man. See, he's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. But he has to say it again. Look down to 23 and verse 14. Behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of the charges against him. Here's what he I heard all that you said about him. I know that you say he has this defect, he has this blemish, he has this spot. Pilate says, Gentile, Roman, you're wrong. He doesn't have any guilt. All the charges are bogus. And if that wasn't enough, look at 2315. 
He says, listen, it's not just me, Pilate says. He's building an argument. He says, Herod didn't either, and Herod was not known for any type of justice or good opinion. Or, he, Herod was crooked as it gets. Herod agreed after examining Jesus. Here's what Herod says in verse 15. He found him not deserving of death. Nothing deserving of death. Verse, chapter 23, verse 22, Pilate for the third time, and he actually says, for the third time, I found no guilt in him, nothing deserving of deaths. But if it wasn't enough to have Pilate inspect Jesus and say, no defect, if it wasn't enough for Herod to inspect him and say there was no spot or blemish, even on the cross, criminals who were hanging beside him, the one says in verse 41, if you look in chapter 23, 41, but this man has done nothing wrong. He tops off the list of inspectors, as it were, with a Gentile Roman centurion who has watched Jesus the entire time on the cross. And in Luke 23, verse 47, the centurion says, certainly this man was innocent. Why? Why does he compile all these lists of people? Why Pilate, Herod, criminal, centurion? He puts them all together. Now listen, three of four are Gentiles, and the fourth one who's Jewish is a criminal. I mean, they may not be people that we would normally call on our behalves to be witnesses. But see, they have nothing to gain. They're not like the Jewish people. They're not the ones who want Jesus to crucify him. See, everybody sees who Jesus is and what he really has done and what he's really like except the religious people. They don't get it. The criminal said, nothing wrong. Is that how you see him? But it is how he is. The Greek word for nothing wrong is the word atapos. You know what it literally means? Out of place. There was nothing out of place in Jesus' life. There wasn't anything that didn't belong there. See, we say, oh, that just doesn't fit. See, it, that doesn't go with that. See, you couldn't say that. Everyone looked at Jesus' life and said, he's not guilty. He's a, see, everything is just right in his life. You ever been to a wedding? I have one time. I've been to I mean, many weddings. But one time I went to a wedding, and I was there, and... Everyone was in really nice suits. Everyone in the party was, you know, they had tuxedos, beautiful gowns, dresses. And there was one guy who came in in T-shirt and shorts and flip-flop. And I tried not to laugh. But it was sad. Because everybody's all dressed up and the auditorium looks great. And here's this guy. He stood out like a sore thumb. You know, he didn't fit. It just wasn't right. He didn't belong, Right? And it was obvious. You ever been to a Yankees game? Right? You're in a stadium with 40,000 people. And then you got these Boston Red Sox fans, like three of them. <laughs> they don't belong there. It's Yankee Stadium. Right? They're out of place. The Old Testament in 1 Kings says this of the best king that Israel ever had. It's best king David Here's what it reads in 1 Kings 15, 5. David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, did not turn away from anything, anything that God commanded him all his days. Didn't turn away anything all his days. That's pretty good. 
But the verse ends this, except in the issue of Uriah the Hittite. You see, you know what Luke's saying? David was great, but Jesus had no exceptions. There weren't, they wasn't saying, hey, Jesus, your life is really great. You are perfect. You are sinless, except, remember that one? No, see, there weren't any exceptions with Jesus. He was perfect. He was the sinless son of God. See, Jesus, in this comparison between two polar extreme opposites, he's the first one. And here's what Luke goes out of his way to know. See, inspect him for yourself. Look at him. See, the people had, everybody had four days to look at Jesus, and they couldn't find anything wrong. Pilate couldn't. Herod couldn't. The people, they did, but they're the only ones. He's innocent. But then you go, and on the other side of the coin, coin you have Barabbas. And the word that describes him in the text, and Luke goes out of his way to do this, is guilty. See, it's all about Jesus and his innocence until 2315. And then he introduces, in the next couple of verses, Barabbas. After it's been said and declared, Jesus has done nothing deserving of death, then Barabbas in contrast, is introduced because he has done lots of things deserving of death. Whereas Jesus was innocent, Barabbas is guilty. In fact, Matthew's gospel in chapter 27 and verse 16 calls him a notorious prisoner. He was known for being a rebel. His insurrection, in fact, two times, Luke 23, look for yourself, verses 19 and 25, Luke catalogs Barabbas' crimes. Both verses say it this way. He was in prison, he had committed insurrection, and he was a murderer. See, he was a revolutionary. He wanted to stomp out Rome. He wanted his freedom, and he was willing to get others to help him, and even more so, he was willing to kill Roman soldiers to get it. We would say today in our 21st century vernacular that he was on death row. He was a certifiable bad guy. He was so bad that both Jews and the Romans thought he was deserving of death. See, he and Jesus, they are complete opposites of one another. Barabbas, because of him, some people were dead. But Jesus, because of him, some people were alive. See, the very things that Jesus had been accused of were the things that Barabbas had already been convicted of. They said Jesus was stirring up the people, that he was creating sedition, that he was an insurrectionist. See, those are all the things that Barabbas was already guilty of. They weren't Jesus' crimes. They were Barabbas's. See, Barabbas, not Jesus, is guilty. He's the one deserving of death. But here's what happened every year at Passover in Jerusalem. The Romans did an act of amnesty. They would have what they called the Passover pardon. And so the people would have a choice. And this year's choice on the platform was between Jesus, the innocent, and Barabbas, the guilty. Which one should be condemned? Which one should be allowed to be released and go free? No, the obvious choice. Isn't it the obvious choice as I put the contrast side by side? The obvious choice is Jesus, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is all of this. Barabbas is none of that. But the people choose 
Barabbas. The question is, why? Jesus is innocent, but yet he's condemned. Barabbas is guilty, but he is set free. The answer is because Jesus is the substitute for Barabbas. You know, the word substitute, it means this, dictionary definition. One item or object exchanged for another. Have you gone to the Super Walmart over there? Newer, newer one, just a few years old. You can go in there, you can place your entire order online. And then they do all the shopping for you. You don't have to get a cart and go through the, none of the aisles, none of that stuff. They do it all for you. And then when your stuff's ready, they'll deliver it to your house or you can go and pick it up. It is a genius thing. <laughs> now what's really great about it too, as we experienced this the other day, is that if they don't have things that you order, they'll offer you a substitute. So we were lacking, we wanted cotton balls and they didn't have any. And so they gave us a huge, large, I think bigger bag of cotton balls or different kind, right? And then we had to have bacon, of course. So we got better bacon, more bacon than we, see, it was better. Now, I did some research on substitutes. And here's what they say. There are two types of substitutes. There's direct substitute, which means something that's exchanged, but it has to be in the same category. They have to be deserving, or it has to be an equal kind of a substitute. Now, you may think in these equal substitutes, one's better than the other, but they're in the same category. Like, for example, Coke and Pepsi, right? Everybody knows Coke's better. But nevertheless, <laughs> Coke and Pepsi, they're in the same category. McDonald's or Burger King? Yuck on both ends. But nevertheless... They're in the same category. PlayStation or Xbox? iPhone, Android. We know all God's people have iPhones, but that's beside the point. <laughs> see, but they, see, that's a direct substitute. They're in the same category. But see, there's another kind of substitute. It's an indirect substitute. And these things are not equal at all. They're, in fact, they're an exchange of things that are completely unrelated to one another. Imagine if Walmart said to me, hey, I know you wanted bacon, but we're going to give you cotton balls. <laughs> now see, th that, no one would take a substitute like that, right? But here's the thing. Walmart has a policy that if they give you a substitute or equal of greater value, you can refuse it. You can refuse it. You can choose to reject their substitute. See, Jesus' exchange for Barabbas is between two completely different people. They are unrelated. They're certainly not in the same category whatsoever. Jesus is innocent. Barabbas is guilty. See, it's not an equal exchange. They're not of equal value. You know why? Because heaven's policy is that God always makes substitutes of greater value. In fact, infinitely greater value. And that's the policy that God showed when he gave Jesus for Barabbas. Now, they sound the same. In fact, did you know that in Matthew's Gospel 26, 7, 16, the King James Version the name of Barabbas is actually translated Jesus Barabbas. In fact, one commentator said, you know, there's two Jesuses that day. 
to choose from. There was Jesus Christ and there was Jesus Barabbas. I don't know if, you're, if you recognize it or not, but Barabbas' name is a compound word, bar, meaning, you ever seen a bar mitzvah? Bar means son of. If you were Scottish, like I am, if you're not Scott, you're not a lot, but nevertheless. <laughs> Scottish people say McGregor. Mick, if the mix on the front, that's the word son of, just like bar is for Jewish people. Right? Americans, we have Johnson, right? You're the son of John. See, that's how it works. If you are a Hebrew today, it's be Ben on it. Ben Davis or whatever it is. Ben means son of, right? Barabbas' name means son of Abba, son of the father. So you have Jesus Barabbas, son of the father, and you have Jesus Christ, son of the father, standing before you. It sounds the same, but can I tell you? They're not at all the same. They're completely different. They are as different values altogether. And I don't know about you, when I look at the story, I realize who Jesus is. He is the true son of the Father. He's the son of God. He is the God-man. But when I look at the story, I also realize who Barabbas is. You know who he is? It's us. It's me. It's you. I am Barabbas. See, Jesus is Barabbas' substitute and yours and mine. God knew, hear me, God knew that he would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. And you. See, the old song, a kind of special music kind of a song, is titled, I Should Have Been Crucified. It says, I was guilty with nothing to say, and they were coming to take me away. But then a voice from heaven was heard that said, let him go, take me instead. Substitution. I should have been crucified. I should have suffered. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace, but Jesus, God's son, took my place. That's what the video was saying. It dawned on Barabbas. He took my place. He was my substitute. Luke also does this, though. He makes a big point of saying that Barabbas was released four times in our text. Look for yourself. Verse 18, verse 20, verse 22, verse 25. Four times Barabbas was released. Pilate said he tried to release Jesus, but they wouldn't. But he released Barabbas. The word release means to give freedom, to set free someone who was bound in prison. See, it's the gospel of Barabbas. You know what it is? Jesus died that I might live. Jesus was bound that I might be set free. He didn't save himself so that he could save me. And the gospel of Barabbas will not allow us to limit Jesus to being just a good role model. He wasn't a good, just a good teacher or example. That's not all he was. He wasn't just a martyr for a good cause. He was your substitute. 
He took your place. In fact, he's the only one who could take your place because Luke said he was innocent. He was sinless. He was perfect. He's the only one who was qualified to be your sacrifice. Why? He had no defects. He was perfect. Do you know what that means? Can you see it this morning? Because most religious people cannot, including the Jews of the day of Jesus. You and I, we're guilty sinners, like Barabbas, and therefore we need a substitute. We need someone who will take our place, who will be sacrificed and take the cross that should be ours, the thorn that should be ours, the nails that should have been ours. See, the, the, the sword in the side, that should have been ours. All of that because of our sin. We need a substitute. Jesus is the only one so why did they call out, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus? It's simple, isn't it? Because they would have to recognize that they were Barabbas. And we don't want to. We don't think of ourselves that way. Oh, Pastor Walker, I'm not an insurrection. I've never murdered. And so you haven't. You may not have done all that Barabbas has done, but you have turned your back on God. We're sinners. We need a Savior. We have sinned. We have no hope of meriting God's righteousness and forgiveness. We have no hope of eternal life on our own. We need a substitute. Forgiveness and freedom cannot be obtained. It cannot out of your goodness, out of your self-righteousness, not of your religiosity, trying to be nice, giving money, None of those things will do. They're all great things. None of them change the fact that we're sinners and we need a substitute. You see, you need a substitute of greater value than you. So for you to say, I am Barabbas, is also to say, I am not Jesus. And we find that very difficult. But it's the truth. And until that truth grips your heart, You'll never have your life changed. See, Jesus is the true son of the Father. He's the only substitute for sinners. He died on the cross and rose again so that you could have victory over sin and hell and the grave, that you could have your sins forgiven, but you have to put your trust in him. You have to put your faith in him. It can't be you, yourself, or a religion, or a denomination. It's not because you're Baptist, you're Lutheran, you're Catholic, or whatever the religion is. It's not because you've gone through the catechism, or the sacraments, or baptized as an adult or a child. It's none of those things. None of them make you right with God. Only Jesus, the perfect substitute, can do that. You need him. And this morning, can I say, if you will say to God, I am Barabbas. Jesus will say to you, and I am your substitute. You have a choice to make this morning. The same one they had in the first century, standing before you, Jesus and Barabbas. The point is what? Which one are you? In order to know the forgiveness of God, you must be able to come to the place where you say, I am Barabbas. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, 
See, it takes humility, does it not? It takes brokenness. It takes a repentant heart of someone who's willing to be honest with themselves no matter how much or not so much you think you're like Barabbas. We're all sinners and we need a savior. And Jesus' cross, death, and resurrection is the only hope for eternal life. I believe God has brought every single person here this morning because what he longs for you to say this morning, first and foremost, is this. I am Barabbas. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, perhaps this morning some of you have come to that realization for the first time and you've been depending on your good works or your religiosity or somehow when you stand before God, you're hoping your good works will outweigh your bad and it'll tilt in your favor. Can I tell you? That won't do it. You are Barabbas. You need a substitute. That's what Easter's all about. He took your place this changes everything. Would you let God change you this morning? Call on him to be your Lord and Savior. We're going to have an invitation. I know it's Easter and there's a lot of people here, but what could be more important than where you spend eternity and whether you have a relationship by faith with Christ? We're going to ask you to come forward. We'll have people here who can take the Bible and show you how you can have life you can have forgiveness. You can have freedom, finally. You don't have to keep carrying the guilt and the shame. You can give it to Jesus. You can do that this morning by faith. But you have to say first, I'm Barabbas. We're going to invite you to come and do just that. Father in heaven, we come to you and we say to you, we're sinners. We are Barabbas. We need you. Father, it is humbling, but it is the first step because we need to see ourselves as you see us. I pray for those this morning who are here and have heard this gospel message of Barabbas that they too would be repentant, that you would grant them repentance, that they might say, I'm Barabbas, and that you might give them the humility and the courage to walk forward and let someone take the scriptures and show them how Jesus can be their substitute so they can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Only you, Holy Spirit of God, can do such a work, and we pray that you would for the name and the honor and glory of our risen Lord, in whose name we pray, amen.